You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. You're listening to episode 365 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Sean Devine, CEO of XBE and former host of this very show is here again. Welcome back, Sean. Hey, Brittany. Great to have you. So, Sean, a very topical question. Have you gotten vaccinated yet? I have not, though, um, as of this week, well, well, so recently I moved to Kansas and from Chicago. And uh, uh, as of Monday, I qualify um, to get the vaccine in Johnson County, Kansas, which is where I live, which is just like just outside of Kansas City. I think that I qualify on two accounts, one because I work in information technology, which which uh, qualifies me right now, and because uh, we make software for the construction industry. So anyhow, both of those as of Monday were in the uh, phases that are allowed. So I'm just hustling to try to get my vaccine. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm not quite there yet, but I think it's going to be soon. I really thought it was going to be until Q4 that I'd be getting it, but it really sounds like I might have it before summer. So fingers crossed. Oh, yeah. Any day. So why did you move to Kansas? I want to get into that. Yeah, right. Well, um, so I had a, um, a or I have a business partner in XBE um, and uh, his business, their business is located in Kansas City. And things have gone great with XBE, as we're going to talk about. And I was interested in um, expanding, uh, that relationship. Um, it's with, uh, with superior Bowen, a company in Kansas city. And, and we, uh, they started as a customer and then they invested some in the business and then, um, we bought their chemistry business and, you know, one thing led to another. And so anyhow, they're in Kansas city and, um, I thought it would be easier for us to collaborate on the next, uh, stretch of, of what's uh, to come for the business if we were here. And I think if I'm being totally honest, we probably were a little stir crazy from COVID times and the idea of, you know, doing something new and getting a fun new house and the rest seemed interesting. So, Oh, that's great. The only time I've been to Kansas was for RailsConf, I believe back in 2016. And I thought it was really fantastic and highly underrated. Yeah, it's funny that the main reason why Kansas instead of Missouri is that um, to someone that grew up in the Northeast of the U.S. I grew up in Albany, New York, and then lived in Boston, New York City, and Connecticut, and you know that, that part of the country. Kansas sounded much more exotic to me than Missouri did. Because um, I don't know if it's because of the Wizard of Oz or, or, or what, but um, you know, the idea of saying that I'm from like a plain state sounded it just much more fun to me than saying I was from Missouri. So we decided to move like a quarter mile over the line over the state line to the Kansas side. I love that so that you can run between the two different states. So (laughs) I have done that, which is a lot of fun. Um, So yeah, you were last on the podcast roughly a year ago. And I know that XBE is doing fantastically well. So what overall, you know, aside from your, your move and the partnership deal, you know, what what's new with the company? Like, what does the team makeup look like right now? Yeah, sure. So just as a quick refresher, so we make software for the um, horizontal construction industry. Um, horizontal are things that are on the ground, so that's you know roads and bridges and excavation and you know moving stone and dirt and that sort of stuff. 
whereas vertical is building buildings. So we make um, software that is an operating system for companies that that build the sort of horizontal infrastructure around the cities that you live in. Um, in any ways, it started back, uh, this is year six now. So I started working on it just over five years ago. And we started in uh, providing a, a platform just to manage the logistics of moving materials to those sorts of jobs. But as time has gone on, we've continued to, to build on the platform. So now it's, it's, it's much bigger. Um, anyhow, so that's what we, we provide. And um, yeah, our, our team is split between the U.S. and India. Um, so that's a that's a, a great experience, fun and interesting. Um, uh, most of the team now is in India, and a, a few on the technical side are in the U.S. And then the rest of the the business team is on the the U.S. side. So yeah, it's been it's been uh, uh, quite a great ride. We doubled. I think this is the fourth year in a row that we doubled, which is fun. Um, and I think we'll probably double again for year five. So, you know, of course, in the beginning, those are very small numbers that are doubling. But if you keep going for enough in the years, the, the numbers start to get bigger. So it's been uh, it's been quite a great experience so far. So as a recap as well, you know, for the listeners, what is the technical stack of XBE? Yeah, so we um, uh, fun fact. So we still run on the same Rails app that I typed Rails new in uh, into my terminal for back on, I think it was January 6th of 2015, no, 16. So January 6th, 2016, I, I typed rails new and it's still that same exact, uh, you know, um, app that is, is running the whole business, which is fun. Um, uh, it's a, it's always just been an API server, um, using JSON API resources to provide a JSON API compliant. Uh, interface and on the front end we're uh, built on Ember. Now the current, so we now have a single app that runs the whole business, um, and that's the the client application that's used by you know contractors and truck drivers and dispatchers and estimators and executives. They all use the same application. It just you know works a little bit differently depending on who you are, and we rebuild that application. Um, into iOS and Android apps that are used by people that work in the field so that we get additional um, capabilities that are supported by the native applications. Um, in particular, location tracking, though a couple of others are helpful too. Um, now that, that Ember app is the third Ember app that we built over time. Um, in, the, in the early days, we actually had separate applications for the uh, trucking side of the business and then our customers. And back, I still remember the day, it was Thanksgiving of 2017, we decided to just combine them all onto a single platform and have a single a single client app to sort of rule them all. And uh, since then, it's just been that one. Looking back on it, was that a good decision? Oh, really good decision, like critically good decision. Um, Interesting. Yeah, in fact, I think that um, so, so now that enough time has played out, I can kind of see what may have happened if we didn't do that, because most or all of our competitors went the other direction where and you, you can understand why, because in the moment, um, it can be easier to build kind of a new feature or offshoot product for a, um, a segment of the population of the 
you know, your users and your, in your customer base, if you kind of built it separately, especially if you have an API that's, you know, would be relatively easy to build on top of. And the problem is that, you know, when we had done that, then we would, we would have sort of features and, and functionality that we wanted to share across them. Um, and, or one had been built at, or started at a given time where we use some convention and then it kind of get, gets left behind when we adopt some newer way of doing things with a second app. And so we decided just to combine it all into, into one thing to force us to keep things bundled and integrated, you know, given that our whole value proposition is that we are one integrated platform that's sort of solving this very complicated construction management problem. Um, and, uh, I think that theory was right and the the products that um, exist out there that are are in our space where they have like one application for the truck driver and one application for the dispatcher and one application for the you know the foreman in the field etc they end up um, you know providing functionality that's very much scoped only to that particular job and very little that spans the entire sort of network that's creating value um, and so, yeah, a long way of saying, I think it was uh, uh, more than just a good decision. I think it was pretty integral to what came next. Interesting. So is the Ember app deployed with the API or are those completely separated, have their own pipelines, live on yep. their own? Totally separate. Mm -hmm. So then when Hotwire was announced, in theory, that wouldn't be very interesting to you at that point because you've already have the separation of concerns and you probably have teams working on them individually. Yeah, that's right. We actually it's it's a fun a fun fact. We we really don't have any team members that are equally fluent in the server and the client side. I think I, I guess I am, but uh Aside from me, we don't have anyone that that is equally comfortable on the the server side and the client side. It's that separated. Um, and part of me, you know, part of me thinks that that probably isn't ideal, honestly. But if if it was critical that we had uh, folks that could span every part, we would have more of them by now. Um, and so I, I think that you know what has been true is that our this the server application is well factored enough that it provides just a huge box of building blocks that you know you can assemble all sorts of stuff with and as we've kept the responsibilities at least practically speaking somewhat separate i think that is enforced good separation um not only between the server and the client but but because of that sort of within the client between the resource or on the server side between the resources. Um, and so to get back to your original question, I mean, I am, I'm sort of interested in the problem that Hotwire solves in one way of looking at it, um, in that I am, you know, very interested in, in building, you know, applications that, um, well, you know, web-based applications that, that also can be used in native contexts. Um, I think that the, the problem that Hotwire solves that I'm not interested in is the allergy to JavaScript problem, um, which I think is part of its DNA as far as I can tell. I haven't used it in any production sort of situation, but if you just read through the readme and kind of look at the ethos of it, it's, you know, at least half of its purpose is to avoid dealing with JavaScript as like the primary thing. And um, I've mentioned this before, but back in, I think it was in 2015, I swore to myself I would never begrudge JavaScript again. Like I would just like it. 
for its for its on its own terms. Um, and that has been a much more productive phase. I mean, you know, my career has been good in general, but the post 2015 embrace of JavaScript led to many great things. And so I'm not, I'm not all that interested in, in trying to solve that problem that I decided wasn't a problem. I agree with you. It definitely feels like an aversion to JavaScript. I feel like action cable was definitely the, you know, call out to Phoenix live view and Hotwire feels like the answer to all of these react applications that are out there. And so I think it, it works well for the things that it needs to work well for. But, you know, we, we had our moment where we talked about, you know, do we want to disassemble our React front end and, and start over in Hotwire? And it, it, it just doesn't feel justified at this point because we're in the same position. The developers that text us are specialized. They either work on the front end or they work on the back end. And I just don't think we have the bandwidth at this point to expand the back end into the front as well. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I like some of the benefits that come from the Hotwire approach. I mean, just a simple example, um, our marketing website is, a, I should have mentioned this before, is a separate Ember app, actually. And um, we built it in Ember one because, like, you know, that's the thing we do. Um, but one of the, the, the sort of implementation details is that we used an, an Ember technology called Fastboot to pre-render the um, pre-render most of the pages in, statically so that they're, you know, served immediately. And then we rehydrate the, the, the app with, with JavaScript to provide additional interactivity. And it's pretty great. I mean, that's a pretty great sort of, um, have your cake and eat it to reality because it's, it's literally instant. I mean, if you go to xb.com, you'll see how fast it is. It, it couldn't be any faster. And yet it's enabled us that it, it's an Ember app has made it very straightforward to add, um, you know, pretty interesting functionality in the marketing site, like a like an opportunity assessment calculator. That, um, in fact, we just we just signed a contract today that I think um, um, may not have happened if it wasn't for that sort of marketing gadget, which I, I think is funny to think about. Um, you know, but anyways, I, my point was that the 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 problem that Hotwire is solving around providing that sort of instant paint from server rendered HTML or server provided HTML. I think for some context is quite valuable. Um, uh, it's just that I don't think I would solve it that way myself because of, because of the factors I, I mentioned before. This episode of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by ExpressVPN. How did you choose which internet service provider to use? The sad thing is most of us have very little choice because ISPs operate like monopolies in the regions they serve. They then use this monopoly power to take advantage of customers. Data caps, streaming throttles, the list goes on. But worst of all, many ISPs log your internet activity and sell that data onto other big tech companies or advertisers. To prevent ISPs from seeing my internet activity, I protect all of my devices with ExpressVPN. So what is ExpressVPN? It's a simple app for your computer or smartphone that encrypts all your network data and tunnels it through a secure VPN server so that your ISP cannot see any of your activity. Just think about how much of your life is on the internet. Sadly, every site you visit, video you watch, or message you send gets tracked by ISPs or other tech giants who can then sell your information for profit. That's the reason I recommend ExpressVPN as the best way to hide your online activity from your ISP. You just download the app, tap one button on your device, and you're protected. And ExpressVPN does all this without slowing your connection. Protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by CNET and Wired. 
Visit my exclusive link, expressvpn.com Ruby, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com Ruby. Thanks to ExpressVPN for supporting the show. That makes sense. You are one of the few people I've ever spoken to that has a marketing site that's not WordPress, so that's pretty amazing. But also the fact that you're embracing the same stack everywhere. So in theory, you need to be technical in order to adjust your marketing site, right? Yeah, I, I mean, it deploys from, it uses GitHub Actions to deploy. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, well, I, the answer is kind of interesting. So, uh, so we use GitHub Actions to deploy, which means that any commit to the marketing site's repo would redeploy the site. And that includes rebuilding the static version and, and deploying that. Um, so, you know, if you could edit a document on GitHub, you could deploy our marketing site. And, you know, given that it's written in Ember, right, just about anything's possible. So we have, as an example, we have the job descriptions that are up on the website. I think that they're written in just plain old markdown files and or the, the parts of them are. And so we have had non-programmers that needed to adjust the the. Uh, you know, some job descriptions that we hadn't yet put in a database, we just said, okay, just go edit this file because it's just marked down. You can't, you, you can't do any harm. Um, and, and that causes the deploy. So yeah, you didn't need to be technical to do that. And we use the, um, uh, we have kind of piggybacked on our server, the server application that runs our core SaaS product. We have added various marketing functionality to that are used to help power the site. So just a simple example is the the press releases that you see on our marketing website are actually stored on our you know, production, um, you know, main application that's driving the business. Um, and we just used that API to, you know, fetch the, the details. And one of the reasons we did that is because we wanted to also provide, you know, live metrics into certain things that we did. And, you know, you, you sort of imagine the, the, the goal we had there. So, you know, we, we can have, and we do have people on our team edit and create press releases and a few other marketing, you know, um, data resources that then effectively cause a change on the marketing website in addition to the, the markdown changes that, that I mentioned before. Um, but aside from those two considerations, yeah, you'd have to be technical to like add a new page or something. Okay. So the real reason that I brought you onto the show today is, you know, of course, to congratulate you over how well XBE is doing. And some of that success has to come from the fact that you are a founder who codes. So I'm curious how your role in the technical stack has evolved as you are the CEO. And as you said, you have a company that's doubling by the year. So how has, you know, your ability to code and how has engineering leadership in general, you know, changed at XBE? Yeah. So I, I think the fact that I can code led to two big opportunities that were the source of, of a lot of XBE's success. One of them is that, you know, we, I was able to bootstrap the business for, um, I mean, really forever. Um, but, but in the beginning and then basically bootstrapped it the rest of the way also. Now I've done business deals with other parties for various reasons, but we never raised any venture capital and never, never needed any actually. And that was mainly because I could code, right? Because if I, if I wasn't able to, you know, I either would have had to fi find someone like myself that could have spiked some of the initial versions, 
um, or raised a seed round um, if I didn't have the, you know, the money to invest myself. And, you know, not, not many of us would. And so because I was able to, to both do the business side and the programming side um, uh, of things and kind of do the, the product management on the initial um, uh, version, it enabled us to, you know, get to a place where we could start generating some revenue without raising outside money. And that's not to say that raising venture capital to build a business like XB is the wrong idea. It may be the right idea, but it's really nice to delay that decision for a bit. Not, not even if you set aside the dilute, you know, the dilution effect of, of getting others involved and selling part of your company as you raise money, even set that aside, you know, maintaining control and agility and the ability to kind of do what you think you should for longer has a lot of value. You know, even even if um, you know in the end you end up diluted the same amount, and so you know the fact that I can program really enabled some of those doors that they just wouldn't have been possible. I would have had to raise money early, and that would have set us down a, a very different road than we ended up going down. Um, the second, and, and I'll get back to that point in a minute, but the, the second uh, benefit that I think is underestimated is that it enabled us to tackle much harder problems than we could have otherwise. And, you know, the, one of the attributes that makes XBE kind of what it is and successful is that we attempt to solve this um, horizontal construction optimization problem in a pretty sophisticated way. And that's not to say that I am particularly more sophisticated than others may be, but given that I didn't have to communicate my vision to you know other programmers that then would try to implement it technically but rather i could spike myself the initial versions using my understanding of of the problem enabled you know enabled um it, it made the least common denominator much higher which meant that we could attack the problem much more fundamentally and really really try to pull off some quite difficult capabilities that if we had had other people involved because you know I, I I couldn't program also it wouldn't have been possible and that that fact led to many other things because you know we ended up having um, a, a pretty sophisticated platform platform that tackles problems in interesting ways and then that you know got us customers that were interested in us doing that more and so on and so forth and so you know it's not just that we could bootstrap our way here but that we could tackle problems that are very hard to tackle without significant resources when you have to communicate between people in the embryonic stage of the business um, and I don't really even think that I communicated that that that, that all that clearly right now um, it's just to say that, you know, the larger the team, the sort of, you know, less complex you can make things. And to some degree, that's good. Um, but when you're, you know, going for the high end of the market and trying to blaze a new trail that people haven't done before, making the team smaller um, was pretty valuable. So you're currently the CEO. Are you also straddling the CTO role or the director of engineering role? Like, how does that work within XBE? Yeah, so we have... Um, I think it's seven or eight people, um, depending on, on what you count, that program now. And I think that's fair to say that I'm still the CTO also. Um, we have a director of product who, uh, a guy named Milland Alvarez, who's also um, the lead front end engineer. 
Um, and in, in fact, we met each other. This is a fun story. We met each other because back when I hosted this show, he listened and, you know, was a, was a, a contributor. He would email me and we got to know each other that way. And eventually I hired him for a project. This is probably seven years ago now. And then that led to him, you know, working on XB in the very early days. And now he's the director of product for the company, which is, it's a fun, it's a fun thing to remember. But anyhow, he both, um, sort of manages it does the product management especially on user facing features as well as leads the engineering on the front end side and then uh, we have a, another team member Benjamin Fleischer who is the sort of equivalent on the back end side but I, I still am pretty involved and I, I think it's fair to say that I, I sort of provide technical leadership on both sides still. So at Techstuffs, you know, I'm based in the Eastern time zone, and then all the developers I work with are in the Mountain time zone. So when it got to the point that we needed to hire contractors, we ended up hiring contractors who are amazing out of Uruguay. And I was nervous about it because this was my first experience with working with contractors out of the country. And I don't know if it was because of the pandemic or I'm just getting really used to remote working. It feels extremely seamless. But I'm curious if you have any advice because India is quite a bit farther away than Uruguay. So I'm curious, you know, do you have any advice for the listeners about managing a team so far away? Yeah, I can tell you how we do it. Um, and I, I think it um, it has worked well. So so I think I would follow some of this advice. So it's so India is either 11 and a half or 10 and a half hours different from the from the central time zone where I am, depending on the time of the year. They don't have uh, two fun facts. They don't have daylight savings time as as basically is true throughout asia and they're one of relatively few places that have where the time zone is on the half hour offset from utc so anyways um so right now it's it's 10 and a half hours difference and so that means it's about as opposite as it gets um we have adopted a pretty simple management approach to make it work so the first part is we meet as a team twice a week um and like as a over a video chat and we do it on monday nights and thursday nights u.s time so uh so last night for example at 10 p.m we had a meeting from 10 p.m to 11 p.m central time and then that was uh 8 30 um in india and in india we're not all in the same place either so there, there's a little bit of uh um, distribution there so I think that, that that's about right. We found that two times a week for a sort of synchronous verbal conversation is fine. You know, it's approximately two hours a week. And um, I don't know if we were all in the same um, place that we would meet sort of formally for two hours a week anyhow. So, you know, or more than that at least. And so, you know, I found that that was pretty helpful. We used to, um, we used to do that a little bit um, differently it used to be flipped so that we met in the us's morning time and over time i think we found it was a little easier to go the other direction mainly because there are fewer people in the us than india um, um, the other thing that we've done that i think has worked uh, pretty well is we're good on slack i don't know how else to say it but the, the company's culture is sort of slack first basically and you know sometimes i hear people say how slack has destroyed the productivity of their company and they feel constantly distracted and you know, um, hate the the sort of semi-continuous chatter, but, but I actually feel very much the opposite. And maybe it's because it's it's just the place that we collectively are. And so, you know, the the conversations are somewhere between 
synchronous and what I'd consider asynchronous, like a GitHub issue where, um, you know, where there, there are posts over time, but they're totally disconnected from time at some level or not totally, but somewhat disconnected in Slack. It's a little bit more like a lazy synchronous conversation where people are kind of in and out, um, given that, you know, someone's always up and working given our time zones, you know, there's always some amount of chatter. There's some awareness of where people are and therefore, you know, when they would be responsive or not. But, um, you know, therefore not a lot of expectation that people would respond right away in off hours, but it wouldn't be weird if they did. And it just kind of creates a nice sort of haze of continuous collaboration. And, you know, maybe that's just my personality, that that's actually kind of what I like. I like to focus on a given thing and not be interrupted if I don't want to be, but I'm chatty if I'm in the mood. And so the whole sort of company vibe is that way. And, and um, I think that my advice based on that is that if you're not going to sort of physically be in the same place, and especially if you're not going to time-wise be in the same you know, time, then, you know, making Slack or its equivalent, although I, I uh, with some customers, use Microsoft Teams, and I can say that, that I, I would not recommend that, but um, making Slack your place of work has been really successful for us and has, you know, caused folks to um, sort of experience um, relationships with others that are just as rich, I'd say, as if they worked in the same place. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that's really good advice because I think that, you know, just the way that the workplace is going, we have to get good at this. And so for me, I am, you know, as I said, two hours ahead of mountain time zone. Sean, you would have to pull my hair kicking and screaming to take those two hours away from me before everybody wakes up. So I really like having the quiet time. I like having that boxed in meeting time and then being able to then go back to be able to focus. So it sounds like your situation is pretty ideal. Uh, it's it's good. I mean, I think that part of the success of it is is really the responsibility of or, or the doing of Milland, the guy um, guy that I mentioned before, that's our director of product. He about half the year will work U.S. time, and I, I it's not because we decided it. I think it's because he is so connected to the rest of the team in the U.S. and our customers also that he um, and I think that he's a bit of a night owl and it's super hot in the middle of the day in India. So, I mean, there are a few factors that may be driving this, but um, yeah, he just winds up working um, nighttime India, daytime US. And he is such a strong sort of force in both personality wise and, you know, values wise and product wise that I think that, that the fact that he's physically there and half the time in India time and half the time in US time just stitches it all together. Agreed. Well, before we wrap up, Sean, did, should we cover any other topics before we wrap? I don't have anything, um, you, you know, that that's that's burning to say, except for, you know, I, I mentioned in our email chatter back and forth before we scheduled today that this was the beginning of year six. And um, I'm often asked if this is the year that I'll stop programming. Um you know, just because the company is a bit big, bigger now and we have lots of customers and a lot going on and the rest. And my answer is still no. And I think it's just going to always be no. Um, because, you know, it, it's it, we don't have trouble um, as leaders deciding to take time to meet with, you know, managers in the company or the whole company or our customers because it, it creates leverage. And, you know, what creates more leverage than being able to program, especially when the, the, the feature is complicated or the math is difficult or, 
you know, you're not really sure what the answer should be or the question should be in the first place. And so, you know, I, I guess my, my point on that is not only that it's good to um, be a programmer if you want to start a company, but that um, if you do that, you should keep being a programmer later. That is the perfect sentiment to end on. Thank you so much for coming back onto the show, Sean, and congratulations on all the success with XBE. Thanks, Brittany. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review, and thank you for listening.